0: Whack-a-mole is actually a metaphor for your life. Just about the time you think you've got one problem whacked down, what happens? Another one pops up. And you whack down one or two more and one or two more come back up. You whack down one and, and three more come back up. That's life. Whack-a-mole. Thank you for coming. You can, you can go on home. Maybe not. This is really true of persistent sins. And I'm not just talking about your occasional temptations. I'm talking about persistent sins. About the time you think you've got victory over a weakness in your life, something else pops back up. Have you noticed this? It just keeps popping back up. Now, I'm going to put some things on the screen. And if you struggle in any one of these areas, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you just to kind of uh, write that down on your listening guide somewhere. All right? We're going to run through these real fast. If you have stress, you don't have to say anything, just kind of write down stress. You can cover it up so that your your neighbor next to you doesn't see that you're stressed. Fears. Anybody have fear problems? Overwork. Attractions that I should not have to another person or to something else. Addictions. Regrets. Any of you struggle with diet? Not me. Worry. Bad habits. Anger. Somebody's batting a thousand over here, man. Everyone of them. <laughs> Dishonesty. Oh, I'm not admitting that one. No, you were just dishonest. Um, control. Finances. Relationships. Painful memories. Perfectionism. Resentment. Compulsive thoughts. <laughs> I should have just had you make marks. You know, so you're like, I got all of them. I'm batting a thousand. Only time in my life I've ever scored a perfect score. If you've circled any of those things, then this church is for you. This church is for people who want to grow. This church is for people who have problems. If you're perfect, please go find another church. But don't join it because once you do, it won't be perfect anymore. Now, if you want to be real, then we invite you to come on this journey with us over the next eight weeks. And I think God's going to do some amazing things. But you have to make the choices to follow Him. You have to make the choices that God's going to reveal to you in order to get over all of that stuff. Well, let's very quickly, let's look at what, are, what causes all these problems. Same root cause. Every problem in your life has the same root cause. It's called playing God. When I act like I'm God and I'm going to make my choices instead of doing what God tells me to do, I'm going to have all of those problems we just listed. Our oldest temptation is the temptation to play God. Many of you have heard the story of Adam and Eve, and there was one thing God said you couldn't have. Everything else you could have. One thing you couldn't have, and, and that was the tree. Well, we don't know that it was apple, but it's some kind of fruit, and it looked good. We've called it the apple. The apple's gotten a bum rap all these years. We don't know what it was, but God said, don't eat of one thing. Everything else is great, and where were Adam and Eve hanging out? By that one thing and the temptation that that Satan came to them, he said, if you eat this, you'll be like who? Have you noticed Satan never tempts you to be like him? He never says, if you eat this or if you do this thing, you'll be like me because nobody wants to be like the devil, but everybody wants to be like God. It's our oldest temptation. There's a whole philosophy built around it, and some of you have heard about the New Age movement. It says, You are a God. You are all powerful in your life. No, you're not. God is not you. You are not God. Our oldest temptation comes from Satan. It is trying to be play it's trying to play God and it's caused by pride. Look what Ezekiel says in chapter twenty eight, verse two. Because you are proud, you say, I am God. Now, can you just imagine somebody going out on a hilltop going, I am God, I am God. Because in the New Age movement, that's what they taught you to do. You kept saying it until you believed it. And, you know, God's this magnificent being sitting way up there. It'd be as if we walk outside today and some little ant, little fire ant comes up and goes, I am God, I am God. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, that's what it's like when human beings try to claim they are God. And it's because we are prideful. Now, when do you play God? It's anytime time God tells you to do one thing and you do something else. You're saying to God, you don't know what's best for my life. I know what's best for my life. I know it's wrong to do this, God, but I don't care because you don't know. God, you haven't been around as long as I... How stupid is that? And, and we say, God, I know you say no sex outside of marriage, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know God says to give money to the church. God even says give ten percent of the church. I, I, I know, but I don't care. Every time God tells you to do something, you don't do it. You are saying, "I am God of my life. I know better than the God of the universe." And this is the source of all your problems. The Bible says in twenty nine uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, pride ruins people. Now I want to ask you something. Have you ever realized the common denominator in every one of your bad relationships? Common denominator in every bad relationship you've ever had. You know who it is? You. How come nobody, how come nobody gave me that answer? Oh good. Two of you. You are the common denominator in every bad relationship you've ever had. Oh, what? you're gonna get mad. Well just hang on a second. Don't get mad. Because no matter where you go to get away from those other people, guess who's still there? You and you are your own worst enemy when it comes to your life. Now, if you want to know the cure, the cure is what we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks. Jesus does this sermon, one of his first sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5 is when it starts, goes through verse 7. And he starts off the most famous sermon ever get given by saying, I'm going to tell you eight ways to be blessed. You'll be blessed if you do this, you'll be blessed if you do this. Eight times God says, you will be blessed if you do these things. He said, I want to tell you how to have a blessed life. And last week we defined blessing as the tangible and intangible favor of God. But I just want to make this as simple as possible, because if you go to the root of the Greek word that's translated blessed for us, you know what that actually means? Happy. Jesus says, you want to be happy? Here are eight keys to being happy. Anyone here want to be happy? Okay. You're enthusiastic about being happy and I'm glad. Jesus says, I want to tell you how to be happy. So here's how he starts in Matthew 5 verse 3. They are blessed, which means happy, who realize their spiritual poverty for the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. Now he's not talking about physical poverty. There is no blessing in being poor physically. Uh, our, your staff and their wives, we were just down in Atlanta for uh, a conference. And um, while we were there, we were walking around in, in this huge arena, there's 13,000 leaders from all over the United States. And we're walking around world vision and, and, and all of these different things. And they're showing you poverty, physical poverty. And and there is no, there's no blessing in being physically poor at the poverty level. But Jesus isn't talking about blessed are you when you're dirt poor. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He says you are blessed when you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt. Little Jamie, by the way, he said nobody ever called him Jamie until I started. That's what he was called when he was younger. But anyway, little Jamie, a few weeks ago, he shared a verse with you from from Isaiah about all of our righteous deeds. We think we do all these great things. All of them are filthy rags before God. There is no one righteous. Not one. And so God says, if you want if you want to be happy, you have to realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Now, in Celebrate Recovery, we say it this way. It's the very first statement that you learn in recovery. I admit I need help that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. That's what it means to realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. God says, if you develop this attitude, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy if you realize this. So, the very first choice that you've got to make, life's healing choices, is this reality choice. And that's this, number one, admit I need help. Admit I need help. You've got to face the truth about you and I've got to face the truth about me. Which means I've got to stop living in denial. And that's why we call this the reality choice. Jesus said the truth will set you free. So I have to face the truth about me, you've got to face the truth about you. The problem is we don't like the truth. You can't handle the truth. That was a poor effort, but you knew what I was trying to do. You don't like the truth about you, but you love the truth about everyone else, right? That's why gossip is so popular. I don't I don't want anybody to gossip about me, but give me some give me some juicy stuff. We love the truth about everyone else, but the truth about us generally makes us miserable because we realize there's problems and that I'm going to have to make some changes and changes are painful. The good news is that your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups can be healed. The bad news is it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself and swallow your pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And here's what I want you to take away from today. What is grace? Grace is very simply the power you need to change. Grace is the power that you need to change. God opposes proud people. That means you are setting yourself up as an enemy of God, the opposition army of God, if you're proud. But He gives grace. What is grace? The power you need to change. He gives grace to humble people. <laughs> How many of you have tried diets and failed? How many of you have tried exercise programs and failed? You young people, you will. You will. You know why? Because it's based on willpower and sometimes I get tired. I worked out like a wild man when I was in college because that's not real life. I got my first job roofing houses after my my senior year at Baylor. Roofing houses in 100 degree temperature all day. You go home, you don't feel like going to the gym. You just want to sit down Drink some Gatorade. So, willpower doesn't work. What you need is the grace of God. Grace is the power you need to change. So, if you're going to change, you have to be humble and you have to realize or own up to a couple of facts. Here are the two facts that I, I know about you, but you may not have admitted about yourself. I've admitted these about me. Two facts that you've got to admit if you're ever going to live the happy life that Jesus Christ offers. Number one, I am broken. I am broken. God never intended for us to live in a messed up world, but guess what? We live in a messed up world. Sin entered with Adam and Eve, that very first temptation, you can be like God, just eat this, you'll not die, you can be like God. And we face the same temptations today because sin entered the world, messed everything up. That means you're messed up, Every person in your family is messed up. Every person you will ever meet is messed up. Everything is broken because of sin. You cannot take two broken, messed up individuals, combine them in a marriage, and have everything be wonderful because you can only work with what you have. (laughs) If my wife was in here, she did. I know that's right, baby, too. Some dude at the conference kept saying, Amen, and you got like... 12,000 preachers and staff members and they're like, Amen! And the man that kept saying, it is so weird to hear people say Amen. We want to say, I know that's right, baby! You are broken and every person you ever meet is broken. And that's why relationships get messed up because you take two broken people, messed up people, you put them together, stuff is going to happen, we're going to mess each other up. Even Romans 8.20, Paul says, Creation is Confused. Would you agree with me that everything seems to be confused and everybody seems to be confused nowadays? I don't know what I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. We have confused attitudes, confused attractions, confused addictions, confused about everything in life. we got older people trying to be younger people. You say facelift? You see these people that are like 116 and you know their face has no wrinkles and they can't smile and their lips have been... Old people trying to be young people you got people with no hair trying to grow hair. We saw one of the preachers, one of my favorite speakers. I'm not even going to mention his name. He's 50 years old. He told us he's 50 years old. He was wearing skinny jeans. And I was going, oh man, you were one of my heroes. I can't look at you the same way ever again. Because you tried to get that 50-year-old body in skinny jeans and it ain't working. I pray to God he never (laughs) hears this sermon. You got men trying to be women, women trying to be men. You got young people trying to be old people. We got races trying to be different races. I want my hair to be like that race or that race. I just want to have some. I don't care which one, which race. I just want some hair. I know, but it's just embarrassing. If I let it grow, it does weird things. And I am never, I am never, I vowed this a long time ago because my father, whom I love dearly, is a comb over guy. And every time you walk out and you're facing the wrong direction, that, that comb over just flaps in the wind for all to see. It is not attractive. And so I just faced reality. A lot of people hadn't seen me in a long time. I can't wait to go to my next uh, reunion. I'll probably be voted the one with the least amount of hair, but I didn't get that at my 10-year reunion, so I was pretty pleased with that. Um, but I just people are like, what happened to your hair? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just facing reality. I just cut it off. And so right now, it's actually long, and, and I got in late last night. It's the reason I didn't cut it. So I apologize for looking like a, uh, a hippie. That's what I always tell my kids. They're always telling me, they're like, Daddy, your hair's too fuzzy. You need to cut it off. Praise God my head doesn't have some weird deformity. that, Because I'd be covering it up (laughs) if I did. So here's the thing. Don't try to be somebody that you're not. Admit you're messed up. And then you can discover who God made you to be. And there is no greater cause or purpose in this world than being who God made you to be. You talk about freedom... Because I walk around with... I was like one of the oldest people at this conference. I didn't care. Young people ain't got nothing on me. They can run faster. They can lift more weight. I don't care. I'm over that. Most of the time. There's Every once in a while. Now, a second thing you need to admit. First, got to admit you're messed up. Second thing is, my secrets make me sick. And this is the key to you ever getting well is you have to admit that your secrets make you sick. Now, I want to read you from a psalm. King David wrote this, and if you know anything about King David, his greatest sin was he committed adultery with another man's wife, then he had that man murdered. So he's an adulteress, he's the king. He's an adulteress, he's a murderer, and then he covers it up for over a year until he's confronted. This psalm is written to kind of tell you what happens when you try to cover up sin. Let's read it together. When I refused to confess my sin, David says, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and my guilt is gone. It's not so much what you're eating, it's what's eating you that is destroying your life. If you're tired all the time and frustrated all the time, you've got all these problems, guess what? You need to look at what you're hiding. What you're covering up, you don't want anybody to know about. Your secrets make you sick. When you hide a sin, it actually increases in power. It doesn't get better. I don't want anybody to know this. And it becomes a compulsion. And there's this desire within you to do it over and over and over again. And it gets stronger. The more you hide it, the more it increases. When you hide a fear, it intensifies, and fear gets worse and worse. When you hide a hurt, a memory, it imprints on your mind and actually becomes more and more vivid because you rehearse that memory in your mind all the time. Hiding a hurt or a sin never works. It only intensifies it. And you know, here's the really strange thing. At our church, we are really good at applauding other people's honesty. We we would, if Greg were here, we would come up and hug on him. People are going to love all over Terry today because she's been clean for a year. One of the one of the greatest sermons I ever did wasn't even a sermon I did. I interviewed Jason and Danae Selman and he, he sat in front of our church and, and admitted that he'd had a pornography addiction and he was powerless to overcome it. And you all watched, and I watched you all sit there, first of all, in dead silence. You could have heard a pin drop. It's the longest sermon we've ever had either. And nobody was ready to go. Because someone else was so gut-level honest. And he'll tell you, Jason will tell you, that's the day he began to get Well, was when he brought it out into the open. You keep things secret, they increase in power and intensity and Satan just whispers over and over and over. When you begin to get healing is when you bring it out into the light. Whatever you are so afraid of is what you've got to bring out into the light. You can't work on your sins in your life until you admit them. We waste so much energy and this is why so many people have left the local church is because we waste so much energy pretending we've got it all together. Just imagine if we quit wasting that energy and we admitted to a few trusted individuals what our deepest, darkest secrets are. We could start living the life that God intended. And I'm telling you, there's no life like it. The message of the Bible is that Jesus came to make me well. You are broken. I'm broken. We are not okay. But Jesus came to make us okay. And have you noticed people will try everything out there to get better except God? My first full-time job after college was at a place called Power Computing. It was this huge facility with massive mainframe computers that can fit on your desk now. But this was way back when. And and what my job was, I worked in the, in the night shift, so I would get there at 11 P.M. and worked till 7 a.m. and this was in downtown Dallas, Texas. And we ran software for most of the major nuclear power plants around the world. So the only people that were awake when I was there was the Germans. You know, they'd, they'd sign in Guten Morgen. I'm like, yeah, yo, whatever. Um, and they would request some tape. I would go back to our facility, which our little library back here. I'd find the tape number. I'd come out, run their software on this big mainframe on this big tape to tape thing. And then, um, when they were done, it would come off and I would go put it back in the library. It was a real, Easy job. We would work like crazy until midnight, one o'clock. We'd be finished with the the previous day's billing and then we would just sit around. Well, I had two ladies that I worked with. One of them was my boss and every once in a while they would, my boss would come over to me and and we had a very good relationship, but they knew I was a Christian. And so when they wanted to talk about stuff that they knew I wouldn't agree with, they would ask me to leave. And so we had that type of relationship. She'd go, Hey, Doug, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about some stuff that you, you probably won't like. So, Get lost. And I'm like, cool. So I'd go get a Dallas Morning News and waste a couple of hours, get paid for it. And uh, then I would come back. Well, one time I came back a little early and they had this book out there. And it was all about you are a God. They would try anything except what God had to say. Have you noticed that about people? <laughs> They, they'll they try crystals, they'll try aromatherapy, reading palms, acupuncture. They'll read their horoscope in the paper. They'll go for fads and therapies and conferences, cults and tapes and motivational seminars and read books and believe the wackiest stupid ideas, anything to stay away from God's Word and God's people. You notice that? Yes or no? Okay, alright. Christianity, I've been trying to tell you, is the ultimate unreligion. That's what we talked about last week. It is not the same as anything else. God says you are spiritually bankrupt, but every one of these other things says, no, you have the power. All you got to do is remember your spirit. You go deep within yourself and you'll find your purpose in life. No! A car never discovers its purpose by looking deep within itself. And neither will you. You've got to go to the Creator to find out what your purpose is. So God says you're spiritually bankrupt, and you and all you need to do this is number two: you admit you're wrong. You're, you need help. Number two: you humbly ask God for help. Our theme verse for today says, "If you recognize your spiritual poverty, that you're bankrupt, then all the resources of heaven are available to heal your hurts and your habits and your hangups." So how do you get these resources? Well, you, you got to ask. Simply ask. In 2 Corinthians 1, nine, Paul says this, and I'm going to kind of walk through this and give you some commentary as we're reading it. Paul was, wrote half of the New Testament, 13 books of the New Testament, almost half. He was going through some tough times, and he says, we despaired of even life itself. Now, I bet you most of you didn't realize that Paul came to a point in his life where he wanted to die. God, just take me on home. This life sucks. Take me. He was depressed. He hated his life. He wanted to die. And then he realized something. The next part of the verse says, we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's step one. That's spiritual poverty. That's I admit I can't do it. I need help. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. And then he says, but that was good. How can it be good to admit you can't do it? Well, because you don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. Ask a man named Job. Job's faith could be trusted because Job's faith was tested and he passed. Now he cried out to God. He was honest. This is one of the most honest books of the Bible. He cried out to God, I am not guilty. I don't understand God. And God never did answer why he, he let him. We know because we've got the Bible. But Job never knew why he lost everything. I think part of that is so that you and I could look at his life and go, well, my life's not that bad. I didn't lose eight children, all my house and livestock. I didn't lose everything except a nagging wife who God just left there, you know, to be a thorn in the flesh and, you know. I didn't lose everything. I didn't have boils on my skin that itched so bad that I sat there with broken pottery and scraped it. Don't tell me how bad your life is. It could always be worse. You just got to ask God for help. Now, if, if well, let me go on with the verse. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for He can even raise the dead. I don't know how many times I've prayed this, but when I've done marriage counseling, many times I go home and I say, God, that's a dead marriage that needs resurrecting. Bible says in Ephesians, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to those who follow God, all the resources of heaven. So if God can raise a dead person, He can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead person, He can raise a dead dream. If God can raise a dead person, He can restore romance and love in your marriage. God can do miracles. And see, anybody can bring good out of good. That's the, that's the deception that a lot of people buy into. They'll read this other trash and they'll say, oh, well, good can come out of good... Anybody can take good out of good. Only God brings a resurrection out of a crucifixion. Never happened before. The only way it will happen again is if you are a Christ follower and you humbly ask God to help you. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, then you've got to become a Christ follower. Here we talk about you ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And we had some people do that last week. Literally, step into the family of God last week. And we cheer that. And some of you say, well, I've done that and I'm still messed up. Well, there's one more thing you've got to do. You admit you need help. You humbly ask God to help you, but there's a third step. If you don't take it, you're not going to get well. I'm just going to tell you that. Number three is accept help from other people. God wired us in such a way that we do not get well by ourselves. And and I want to be very, very blunt the, the next few minutes as we finish this up. You know the problem that you'd like to get rid of in your life? The temptation, the defect, the fault, the fear, the worry, the loneliness, whatever it is that's messing you up? Read my lips. You will never get rid of that on your own. You will not get well. Terry, that's Terry, one year today, she's telling you, she didn't get well and get healing power until she got around some other people that she could trust. You can't get it on your own because if you could, you would, but you can't, so you haven't. You're only going to get well when you're honest with others. You say, well, I just don't, I don't want to do that. Why should I do that? Well, because it humbles you and God gives grace to the humble. It's your pride that's kept you stuck. If, if you don't have somebody in your life that you can be totally brutally honest with, then I actually pity you because you will never be healthy because God designed you in a way that you don't get well until you have some people around you. That's why we have small groups in our church. That's why we emphasize it. We only grow in community. When you're going through a tough time, you need people around you. And see, if all you're doing is coming on Sundays and you get fred, fed the bread of life once a week, it's like eating a banquet one day and then fasting. Fasting means no food for the next 6 days. How healthy are you going to be physically if you do that? Not very. So you're not very healthy spiritually. Look what James 5.16 says. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this is on your listing guide and I want you to do something as we finish right now. I need you to circle some words in this verse. Circle admit. Circle pray. And circle the phrase each other. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other. Now, draw a line from all three of those words or phrases to the word Healed. God's giving you the prescription right there. Admit, pray to each other so that you may be healed. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And this is the hardest step that, that for most of you to take because it hits your pride. Lots of people are like, well, I don't mind telling God, but I am not telling another soul. <laughs> if that's you, you'll be stuck the rest of your life. Now, let me be very clear. If you want to be forgiven, you tell God. If you want to be healed, you gotta tell other people. Now you don't, you don't rent the Goodyear blimp and put it on the thing at the Super Bowl and tell a hundred thousand people at once. You tell a few people that you can trust. And, and again, that's why we do small groups. Several years ago we went to, when we started Celebrate Recovery, how many years? Four? We've completed four. We're starting our fifth year of Celebrate Recovery. We went out to where they actually started Celebrate Recovery at Saddleback Church in California. And one of the things that that blew me away was there were some pastors... From just outside of Tulsa, they got up and they shared about what God was doing in pastors. These pastors were confessing to one another that some of them had a lust problem. Some of them had anger problems. Some of them had control issues. Some of them had hurts and habits. And these pastors, the six or eight of them, I don't remember how many, but I was so compelled that I went to their little breakout session. You couldn't even get in the door. They didn't have the room big enough. And so there are people standing all over the place because they'd never seen a group of pastors who admitted they had any problems at all. And I hung on every word because I thought, that's what we need in Palestine. Because, uh, you know, we're, we, don't, we do have this complex sometimes, but nobody can understand what it's like to be a pastor until you've been a pastor. Just trust me on that. So that's why pastors get together because nobody can understand it. And so I came back and I, I was meeting with a group of pastors and, and we used to meet and pray and read books and stuff like that. And I brought up this idea. So guys, I saw something I've never seen in my life before. There were probably 10 pastors in the room. And I told them what happened. And I told them that people were confessing their sins to one another. And I got these looks of absolute blank stares. And I said, guys, I don't know about you, but I need someone that I can be totally honest with that, that I know is not going to impact my church. They're not going to say, well, you can't listen to him because did you know he thought this or he said this? I need somebody that I can share with. And they shot me down. And it was shortly after that I quit going to the group. Not because I was mad or anything, but because I thought, I gotta hang out with people who can be totally real. I'm not gonna go in and pretend if I'm struggling. I I shared with you several weeks ago when I was struggling spiritually and emotionally. I can't hang out with people who, who are gonna pretend they got it all together. I can't relate to those people. And maybe those pastors did have it all together. You know, maybe I'm just judging them. But I've been around a lot of preachers. None of them are as righteous as they seem on Sunday morning. Well, I tell you all of that to say, you need somebody that you can trust. That's why you've got to get into some type of group. Just coming to church for the next eight weeks or 40 years will not help you grow spiritually. Doesn't happen that way. There's choices you've got to make. Bow your heads for just a second. I want to ask you, what is it that you've been hiding? What is your issue that you don't want anybody to know about? I'm going to ask you not to stand up and confess it to this group, but I'm going to ask you to pray something. I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to ask you to pray. Let me pray first, and then I'm going to tell you what I want you to pray. Father, because not one of us is perfect, we all have areas in our lives that are unhealthy and out of balance. And God, honestly, some of these are so painful that we can't even stand to think about them, much less tell someone else. And I know these people in this room, I know most of them, have serious issues. Some with shame and guilt and secrets and depression and low self-esteem. I know there are others here that their marriages are stuck or it's cold and it's dying. Maybe even it's finished. Maybe they're even separated right now and they don't know what to do. There may be people here, God, struggling with a habit, a secret sin, a hurt, a fear of being out of control, or the fear that they're losing their mind, they're going crazy. God, I, I, I pray that you give them the courage right now, October 11th, to take the first step and admit they need help. Now, here's what I want to lead you to pray. You pray this in your mind. Dear God, I desperately want to get well. I want to get healthy today. I realize I'm not God, but I've often acted like I was. I've tried to control my life and I'm sorry. I've done things you've told me not to do. And I've not done things you've told me to do. I don't want to run anymore. Today I admit that I am spiritually bankrupt. And today I admit I need your help. I don't want to hide my hurts or my sins or my habits anymore. I know I am helpless to control my tendency to do things that are unhealthy for me. And I ask you to take the pieces of my unmanageable life and begin the process of healing today. And even more than that, Lord, I'm asking that you give me the courage to accept help from other people. I don't just want to be forgiven, Lord. I want to be healed. I want to get this behind me so that the rest of my life can be the best of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.